Hey. 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 You are listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com. you to know 30 men's lives have been changed because of your presence there and you did it Uh, lots of people did it and to be able to describe to these 30 guys how much love and affection they have from people outside is such a cool thing to to do um, astronomically above everything that everybody ever asked for in regards to uh, how much money came in it was way more than what we needed. It was uh, cookies way more than what we needed. Um, the, the, the amount of what you did in strips that you made that we put around the room, I've never, ever, in the nine times I've gone, seen it that many times around the room. It's overwhelming uh, when we have to take a break in the middle of it because there's so many rings to put up. And seeing your words written down on pages, that made a difference in these men's lives. What can happen in three and a half days when God's in the middle of it? Uh, is amazing. And I just want you to know, it was a great experience. Uh, you're going to get to hear more about that. Uh, please talk to the, the seven who went and were part of what went on. You're going to hear from all of us, I think, somewhere in March. Uh, uh, we'll get an opportunity to do that one, the gifts night. Um, but when someone asked the question, was Kairos good? How much time do you have? Um, what we see in the darkness of the men that we saw on Thursday was light and glory and praise, and laughter, and hugs, and I'm telling you, I don't understand. I've watched it now a number of times, and I don't know how God does it, but I just watch in three and a half days this transformation that happens in the lives of men. And I'm just so grateful for your presence in prison with us. And uh, we went back Saturday, yesterday, we just went back yesterday, do an instructional thing with uh, the guys that were there. And uh, of the 30 that were invited, 28 of them were there. That speaks a lot. Uh, to what happened over the weekend. They came back and they want to know more, and they're practicing it. They've been made overcomers, and today we're talking about overcoming and how we are overcomers, how we find the power of love, as Drew's already talked about in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. What's an overcomer, though? An overcomer is one who succeeds in dealing with or gaining control of some problem of difficulty. It's a word that's very powerful when we can say, I'm an overcomer. It's a word that requires perseverance and character and steadfastness and courage because whatever you've got in the middle of what you've got going on, an overcomer steps on that. And we all are overcomers as believers. And as true believers, we're overcomers even in the hardest of times. So no matter what difficulty God might give to us, we can be overcomers. We witness overcomers over the course of the weekend. The word overcomer or victor comes from the Greek word Nike. Yep, that's right. Nike, the swoosh mark, the victory symbol, the goddess of the Greek champion, right? It's meaning to conquer, to prevail, to be victorious, specifically in the face of obstacles. The word talks of victory. It implies that in a victory, there has to be a battle. And to be an overcomer, you have had to have gone through the battle to have overcome. And many of you are testimonies of how God has overcome in your life. And now, as was said by the chaplain on Sunday for the closing, he said the coolest words. He looked at the men and he said, and now there are 30 more people who are part of the kingdom and the church. 
And he said, I just came from my worship service, the chaplain did, and he came into the afternoon service and he said, I can't tell you what it'd be like if we had 30 new people in our church today. I want you to know 30 new people have come, and that they've come because they've been overcomers. These military words that we have is this battle that happens. The enemy Satan is at battle with us, and we're in, in war with him, and he wants to take our lives, and he wants to wage crazy amounts of knucklehead things that happen in our life that we can't, we seemingly can't do anything against, but on the other side, we follow God. And when we do, and when we have Christ Jesus, he ruins what Satan tries to do in our lives. He ruins it. His plan is discarded, stepped on, overcome. Why do I tell you all of these things? Because it is your faith that you do. It's not a guarantee necessarily of all of what's going to happen, but it is going to allow you to be enabled in the middle of that battle to say, I don't know how I made it through that moment. I can't tell you the testimony of how many people I hear say, I don't know what I would have done without God. I don't know what I would have done without the church. I don't know what I would have done without prayers. They're talking about how they overcame in the middle of the battle. We're going to find this in John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5 today. We find that John is going to give us exactly what we need, the basics of what we're going to find. So let's break the sticks down. First uh, John chapter 5, and I want to look at just verse 1 to start our time and find out that overcomers are loved well by the truth. Look at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Overcomers are loved well by the truth of who Jesus is. There's the spiritual birth that takes place in the life of every believer. And when spiritual birth happens in the life of a believer, there is a spiritual heritage that comes along with that. Faith and belief is the entrance fee to pay to get in part of being the family of God. When I believe in who Jesus is, I get to join in this family of God. And God has already told us that our spiritual heritage is a byproduct of God's great love for us in Christ, not in the efforts that you and I have, being born of God, as mentioned here, is the very thing that leads us to receive an inheritance as adopted children. And we see each other as believers, as brothers and sisters and fellow members of the family of God. And if we read on to that verse and we take it what it says, according to all the things we've been hearing, we're supposed to demonstrate that to other people. And John is letting us know how easy it is to be part of the family. But he's also letting us know in this verse that if you belong to Jesus, you get the father too. So when you know the son, you know the father. And Jesus kind of always kind of said that. If you've met me, then you've met him. Uh, if you've talked to me, then you've talked to him. Uh, to belong is to be accepted. And everybody wants to be belong. And I want you to know as a family of God, you belong and you feel secure in the fact that you belong and that you're not alone. That was the message we kept telling these guys all week long. Look at how much you are not alone. Look at all of the rings. Look at all the placemats. Look at all the stuff that everybody, look at all the cookies they made. All of this is like a demonstration. You're not by yourself. There are people out there that love who you are. And we saw that all weekend long. Humans need, the human's greatest need is to be known and, and to, to, be know, to know and to be known, to love and to be loved, to feel confident in the middle of all that. To belong to Jesus is to feel at home with God as your dad. I don't know about you, but that is like makes me feel really good. I'm like, I have God as my dad. Like, my God can beat up your, you know, like, my father can beat your father. Like, that kind of like, my God, my God is my dad. He's my father, the greatest of all dads. 
And there's this trust and connection that are felt deeply in a relationship like no other that we have. And it makes sense that our creator would want to know us this way. The joy of knowing who he is and loving him. One Kairos guy, and I I wrote quotes in my notebook that I had um, all weekend long. And I have it up front to to keep reminding me all the things they say. They'd say something, I'm like, wait, 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 say that one more time. Like, writing it down. Because, like, what they say is just so profound. Like, how can a bunch of guys who are criminals locked up in jail say anything profound? Because God, in the movement of that, all of us get to say something that's worthy. And so I write these things down. So this one guy said, and it's, I've heard it before, but he just said it so distinctly. One Kairos inmate said, you know, I had, to go, I had to come to prison to finally feel loved. I had to be locked up in order to feel and know what it was like to be loved. And I thought about that on the outside for all of us. Those of us who are on the outside of the fence, outside of the yard. And I wonder if those of us on the outside, I, I had to come to Jesus by faith to find a family. I didn't know I could have one until by faith I just said, I want to be part of something bigger. But then we find out that we are overcomers. Overcomers are obedient to the truth. Look at it in verses 2 and 3 in our text today. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. Obedient to his commands. And if you're all about God, then you have to be all about others. You can't have one without the other one. It's unfortunate but true. And I want you to know that I think there are some churches that are dying underneath their own steeples because they've missed this idea. They're more about God than they are about others. They don't have a balance of knowing God and loving others. And I want you to know my prayer, my constant resounding prayer for all of us as a community is that we would never stop loving other people. Everyone is welcome in the family of God. Here's the thing that I had with the guys in Kairos. Many of them are saying, who would love someone who looks like me? They're covered head to toe in tattoos. It's very distracting sometimes for me with some of the ADD things I have because when they blink and like, what is that? I want to ask and they want to tell. They have a reason for all of them. They have this descriptive story all over their bodies. Like, when'd you get that one? What's that one for? What's that mean? Find out a lot about gangs. Way more about gangs than I ever knew. It's sort of written on the outside of their body. So that when someone sees them coming, they know. Don't mess with me. And I think to myself about how much it can't be just about God at that moment. It has to be about other people. The kingdom can't add 30 new men into the relationship until it happens. And I thought to myself, if one of these men come into our church today, would they be allowed to sit next to us because they just look like they're prisoners? They don't have to wear blues for us to know it. They look like they're prisoners. Now, someone said, would we welcome? Yes, we do. There's some in this room, some in this service, some in this place who have got all kinds of things going on. They have a criminal record, and they're still worshiping with us. Why? Because we want to love people where they're at. God's been clear that gathering of believers in church is how it tends to grow as people. And it's done by faith and love. And faith and love are not inseparable. We can't put faith over here, love over there, only do one or the other. Because love leads to obedience and faith leads to overcoming. And complete obedience to God requires both faith and love. And, and you can't just be all about God and hate your brothers. We've been learning that through the text of 1 John. You've seen Jesus knock 
that time and time again down. And we heard it last week as Drew was able to preach with you and I'm just so blessed to have such a great group of people that can open up God's word and have so much profound things to say. I'm so proud of this team. But in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, Drew read these words, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, I need to have faith and love together. See, it can't be a matter of my humanitarian deeds that I do that make me a good person, which they will. Lots of people do lots of good things for others and they ignore the word of God. I mean, ignore the word of God. So you got to be careful about understanding there's this this, this place where we have to obey the obedience parts of our faith in him, and yet we have to love people. It's part of the obedience of what he's asking us to do. And then it says in the text, the very last part of it, that, they are, that when we do this, we're never over, overburdened with it. Never overburdened with it. It's not like, oh, wow, can't believe you gave me so much to do, God. I have to faith in you, and I have to love other people too? Yeah, that's kind of the bargain we have. The Greek word for burdensome is baris, which means heavy, Weighty, important, and even fierce. The dictionary definition of burdensome is undesirably restrictive. And this word in English, I can't help but laugh every time I start to think about it. The word burdensome, in the Greek, the way we understand it in English, is our word for governmental regulation and red tape. Yep, that's burdensome. And guess what? This next year, that's what's going to be on our plate. That's what's going to be on the planet. That's what we're all going to have to be talking about, whether we want to talk about it or not. Burdensome. When are we going to be done with it? November's such a long way away. Yes, burdensome. But following these two things to do, according to John, not burdensome. When an unbeliever sees all the commands of God, they may sometimes feel like these commands are burdensome to them. Like, you get, that's another thing you want me to do? We need to be mindful of it. I'm telling you, I watch these guys and some of you who wander around chasing after God, finding out all the things you need to find out about him because you're so skeptical about what it is that's going on. And all these years you waste trying to find out and prove that everybody's wrong about this thing called faith. And you go, I wasted so many years of my life. I heard this all weekend long. 24 years of chasing after all this stuff and I finally get the idea. I've been chasing him all along, but I've never said yes to him. Yeah, it was that simple. It was that simple. And they're not burdensome. We have to admit that God's commands sometimes are demanding. And there's some pages we'd like to rip out. Like the one in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25 says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be one of my disciples must deny himself, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for, my, for me will find it. Sounds like a demanding request for me of God. But apparently it's something that's not burdensome that he knows I can do, or he wouldn't give it to me to do. But then John says that these commands are not a terrible weight or a burden at all, that we cannot bear. God's standard is set high. He wants to set it high. Be holy as I am holy. But he doesn't just set the bar high and leave you for yourself to try to clear it. He's not going to give you a 10-foot pole and ask you to vault a 50-foot bar. And if he does, you can know and understand that by God's grace, you'll be able to clear it. Through the Holy Spirit accomplishing and being obedient to him, you'll be able to clear it. And if you don't think you can, Matthew 16 is just one reminder of how, I suppose, difficult it is. Like, I have to give up all this stuff. And then look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Many of you know this by heart. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the Pharisees of the first century, they loaded the Jews with all kinds of burdens and yet did nothing to help them. In fact, they just kept raising the bar time and time again with their ridiculous rules and regulations. And I just want you to know, we have to be careful about that too. Sometimes we start raising the bar, raising the bar, raising the bar, and we make it difficult for people to try to jump, and they quit. Jesus lets the people know that he will bear their burdens for them, that he'll give them rest. God sets the bar high. He commands very much. He's demanding God. He desires us to live a holy life, and yet he takes our burdens and strengthens us through his grace to accomplish what he calls us to do. And we need to be open to the truth and be obedient to it. Let's look at verses four and five. We find out that overcomers are overcome by the truth. And I'm trying to come up with a better word than overcome. You know how you define the word by using the word? I couldn't come up with one. So overcomers are overcome by the truth. We're just overcome by it. Look at verses four and five. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that he has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to know how you're going to overcome and really overcome? All the stuff you're trying to do and going to work. You need to believe in the Son of God. What are some of the overcoming things that we have that we overcome? One of them, you're overcome by the broken systems of the world. You and I are we're not carrying around all of that. You know that we live in a messed up world and a messed up place, and we're reminded about it every day, everywhere we go. Sin can really break you if you let it. You also don't have to be undone by a truth that God has a perfect plan that ultimately involves his timing to redeem the brokenness and sin completely. He has a plan for fixing the problem that we've messed up so much. But then we also find ourselves that we're overcome by tough times. Many of you write down in your prayer requests the things that are tough for you, things that you can't handle. Tuesday, we're going to spend some time as a community praying over those kinds of things because tough times are something that you, you, you feel like you can't escape. But I want you to know John 16, says you can. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus says, he tells these things to us so he wants us to have peace because he knows that we're going to discover that we're going to have some tough times later. But then he uses these words, take heart. And the word take heart, usually when you hear these words, someone might say, hey, take heart, brother. Sometimes it's trying to make you feel better about something you got going down. Maybe it's a tough circumstance that you're, you're having to go through, a hurtful moment with the relationship with someone, a disappointment that you've had to face. But the take heart response of Jesus is really an attempt to alter your feelings about the things that upset you. He wants you not to think about the things that upset you because he wants to remind you, I want to give you peace and I'm here for you. So take heart in that. You stand in the middle of something that's bigger than you and over, it's over you and you have no control and you're invited to find hope in what is bad because Jesus goes through it with you. All weekend long, we came to help these guys inside and I think that probably the statement we were saying to them over and over again, with your permission and with your blessing, was take heart. Take heart. Jesus is still on the throne and he still knows who you are and he still recognizes what you're going through and even though you're incarcerated, locked up and you feel like you can't move, take heart. 
Because people on the outside are praying on your side. James chapter 1, verses 4 and verse 12 kind of teams up with John when he says it this way. In verse 4, he says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then in verse 12, he says it this way, blessed is the one who perseveres under trials because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. You just sang about that. Lord, we, lit, we lay our crowns. We lay our crowns. We're going to surrender our crowns. We're going to get a new crown and replacement. See, James echoes what John is trying to say. When you trust God, he makes a promise, a promise that he's going to strengthen to conquer sin and the world. And when you do that, when you remain steadfast under trials and are promised the crown of life, you're promised tribulation, but you're also promised the power to overcome the presence of God who remains with you through it all. Here's a third thing that you overcome. You overcome temptations. People often confuse trials and temptation. Well, we'll list a temptation as one of our trials. Like, boy, I'm really being tempted by God on that. You often hear someone say, God will never, you, never give you more than you can handle. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. That's the plan. You wake up every day and you get handed more than you can handle. Why? Because God knows what you can handle. He hasn't given you more than you can handle. I know we think that. And when we do, we almost turn it into a negative. Like Satan's attacking me and I'm not going to be able to defeat it. Wait, take heart. Take heart. Your promise is to work you through in, in, in the faith that you have and the promise of life for those who love and obey him. Sure, keeping his commands sometimes are really hard. And sometimes we get tempted in some really tough ways. But with temptation, God makes a way out. And that means whatever it is you're thinking you've got that's more on your plate than you can handle, God knows you can take care of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Favorite verse, memorized, love this verse. Use it all the time. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's not more than you can handle. That's enough that you can handle it. And I love that about God. Here's a fourth piece for us, that we are overcomers, are overwhelmed in the power of the truth. We're going to read it in verses 6 through 8, and before I read these verses, I was already told uh, that I was wrong in my interpretation of verses 6 through 8, fine and dandy. I will be the first one to admit there are seven interpretations of this particular text. I'm giving you one. I don't have time to give you seven, so I'm giving you one, all right? might not be the one you like, but there are seven, probably all in the same game plan. Verses 6 through 8 read this way. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. Overcomers are overwhelmed by the power of truth. And before diving into it, it's important for us to know that in the Jewish mind, testimony was only accepted if two or three witnesses could agree on the facts. It's most clearly seen in Deuteronomy chapter 19, chapter 19, verse 15, when it says this, one witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense. He may have he may, have, he may have committed. A, a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. John knows this because he knows Old Testament law. And so he's sharing the testimony of three things. The water, the blood, and the spirit. 
And John practically begs the readers, just go and look. Go back and check the facts, and I can help them make sure you see them. But he's going to kind of bring them to our attention. So let's start with the Holy Spirit first. The Holy Spirit shows power, the power of Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit for us to see who Jesus is. Just so we're clear, all of us come into a, a faith relationship with Jesus because the Holy Spirit is nudging us. Someone will say it differently, but, but it's true. The Holy Spirit is the one that pushes us toward Jesus. The water and the blood, we'll get to in a minute, are external, and they're historical witnesses, while the Holy Spirit is an internal and personal witness. And without his work in your life, you would not believe or be born again. You would not have changed your behavior. It is not Brian who convicts you of sin. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts you of sin. And neither should any of us be the ones that are trying to convict someone of sin. Let's let the Holy Spirit do his job and let's do ours. All right? Presence of the Holy Spirit is the proof of your salvation. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says it this way. The Spirit himself, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit is letting it know we are God's children. Power isn't anything, I've found out, until you use it. Found out this particular one this week with Tony Evans. Two minutes with Tony. You may have heard it on the radio. I'm going to share it as he did. Tony's talking about a woman who used to live without electricity. There was that moment in time where there were folks that didn't have electricity, and all of a sudden they're running cables, and they're adding electricity to your home. But they noticed in this one woman's particular moment that her bill was coming in rather small for electricity, so they were concerned on whether or not it was working or not. So they sent a power guy out and went to the door to find out what was going on with the power. So they knock on the door, hey, uh, we noticed that, do you have electricity? Yes, I have electricity. Well, we noticed that you're not using very much electricity. We wanted to make sure there was nothing wrong. She said, I am absolutely using the electricity. And so she showed him. She went over to the light switch, flipped open the light switch, saw where the matches were, lit the match to the lantern, lit the lantern, and turned the light back off. And I think that's a wonderful story about how we, you and I, have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have power that's been run to us, and we choose not to use it. Like we choose not to allow it to be working in us. And we're wondering why we're still wandering around in the dark with lanterns. We don't need to do that. Tap into the power that's been handed to you. At one of the Kairos gatherings that we had over the weekend, somebody said something that was just profoundly wise, which is a lot of that kind of thing. And uh, one of the guys in our group, we get in our table groups and we're talking, and this guy says this great thing I wrote down. he said, I had something, when that guy was talking, I don't know what it was, but I had something jumping up and down inside of me. And so I told him, I said, well, brother, I just want you to know, that was the Holy Spirit working in you. And here's what he said. He said, I don't know what you call it. All I know is I want more of it. And I thought, that's it. I want more of the power. I want to turn all the lights on. I want to flip on that. Look at how much electricity I can use. I know that little thing spinning around. I'm going to pay for it. But isn't it nice to be able to have some power? And I'll tell you this way. Notice how much we whine and complain when we don't have power. Oh, what am I going to do? The electricity's off now. Oh, I can't get on my phone. I can't turn on the TV. I can't turn on the light. I can't go down the stairs. That's right. You've got to wait. Man, we're like helpless without power. That's an awesome kind of moment to be in. Here's the other thing we're talking about. Three things. Spirit, and then we talk about water. In water, we're going to talk about Christ's baptism. This is one of those interpretations everybody's going to come and argue with me about. Fine and dandy, come and argue with me about it. There's seven of them. We're not going to come to a conclusion. Uh, his baptism shows that his power is his deity. Why water? Water, at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. And when the Father declared in Luke chapter, chapter 3, verse 22, you are my son in whom, I, in whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was God's son before he was baptized, right? 
Now all of a sudden, he becomes God in human flesh, born in Bethlehem, and now we recognize him as the son of God after his baptism, and his ministry takes off. It launches his ministry. The baptism, does he need the baptism? No, he's launching his ministry with baptism. He's allowing everybody to go, I have arrived, I'm here, let's go. And I want you to know that every Sunday our baptism is filled with water, and you're going to hear me talk about it one way or another, because I want you to know that the water will launch you too. Not the water itself, but the act of what you're doing, just like the act of what Jesus was doing. We're going to get to step into his death and into his life, and like Jesus, we're going to be launched into new things we never were launched into before. But then we find the third piece. The third piece of his witness was his bloody death. His bloody death shows the power that he is the son of God. And it's in the bloody death that I want to ask you if you would, and you would like to participate with us to, to grab the communion that's nearby you. You have a cup and a, and a wafer, and, and we as a church every Sunday will, as we've been called in Acts, to remember the Lord's death until he comes. And so we'll remember again what Christ Jesus has done in this bloody moment that we have sung about already. And as you're opening it, we'll all take it together. I just want you to know that as well. Do you ever hear people say that Jesus was just a good teacher, but he wasn't the only way to God? Check this out. While they were, there are many instances of Jesus' incredible teaching and his record of many miracles that we could list all over Scripture. Many of you talked about these in your small groups today. I want you to know that in the Gospels, if we combine them all, the longest section of the Gospels actually are surrounded about his death on the cross. Longer than all the other things we talk about, his death was more talked about by the Gospels. The bloody death is the most important part of the gospel, and John wants us to hear it one more time because it's one of the testimonies we have. We would not be who we are without the blood of Jesus dripping on us. We would not be who we are as forgiven people, as people who are now on the outside going, I'm free, just like the people on the inside say, I'm free. Why? Because the blood of Jesus sets us free and makes us free. And John wants us to know that and reminds it is one of the testimonies that we have. And when he died, his blood paid the penalty for all of our sins. His death was real, and it cost him everything in him, including his own blood. And from that experience, we have it kind of dripping on us, like the Gatorade I talked about earlier in our life. And we have this blood on us, and all we can do is go before the Father and go, I have this blood on me. And God says, that's my son's. And that means you're connected to him, and that means you're welcome. John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus on the cross at the end of his death said, it is finished. Every last drop of blood has been paid for. The debt has been paid for. John hammered this home earlier in, in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, when he said, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, made clean by the blood of the lamb. And it's in a worship song that we sing that I want to sing for you. You're welcome to join me. I'm not very good at it. And it's a hard to follow and beat, but it goes like this. Oh, the blood, crimson love, price of life's demand. Shameful sin placed on him, the hope of every man. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me. Oh, the blood of Jesus shed for me. What a sacrifice that saved my life. Oh, the blood, it is my victory. Whoosh. You and I are dripping with the blood of a Savior, a bloody death that saved every one of us. 
And it's a testimony of who we are. And it's a testimony of what we remember. Would you bow your heads and remember the victory you have because of his blood shed for you? Lord God, we come again being reminded of this thing that you were reminding your disciples to do in the upper room, to eat and to drink and to remember your body and your blood that was given on our behalf, that as we learn, as we go further into scripture, that it was for our victory so that we would be made overcomers in the battle that we have against sin. There's no that way that we could ever pay it back. There's no way we could ever give it back. But Lord, you've instructed us and know that we have been loved by faith. We, we take that by faith, that we've been loved and that you gave your life for us, that you shed your blood and was nailed to a cross on our behalf to give us life. And now, God, we come remembering and thanking you again for the victory that we have and the overcoming that we have, not because of one thing that any of us have done, but because of everything that you did for us. Thank you for dying once and for all as a sacrifice to sin to save us all. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. And now, church family, would you take this bread and eat it remembering the body of our Savior? And would you take, would you take the cup and remember again as you drink his blood that was spilled to give you life everlasting? What you eat, what you drink, is victory. Let's look at the last part of our text, verses 9 through 12, and we find that overcomers are open to pointing other people to the truth. Let's look at it in verses 9. It says, we accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's a testimony of God, which he has given about his son. And anyone who believes in the son of God has this testimony in his heart. And anyone who does not believe that God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony of God has given about his son. And this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life, and he who does not have the son of God does not have life. You want a verse to circle? It's verse 12. That's about as close to John 3.16 as you're going to get. You believe in the Son, you're going to have life. Overcomers are ones that want to point out a testimony. You know, the testimony of people that he says in verse 9, it's a good thing. Because good people have good testimonies. We accept the testimony of good people all the time. Whether it's a doctor giving us a diagnosis or a mechanic telling us our car's a mess. We trust the pharmacist to put the right pills in the bottle. We believe witnesses in court. But God says that if we believe people, then we can certainly believe his testimony. The father declared who the son was several times. And one of my favorite ways that he declared it was in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. It was at the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God's testimony is factual. And it's also something that one can feel in his heart. But remember this, you are not saved because of how you feel. But by faith in the facts. Faith in the facts. 
We also see the testimony of God is better because it's unchanging. It's unchanging. Mankind is constantly changing. Like the seasons, our mood changes, our character changes, our appearance change, and so on. Everything has been created, is in constant change, constant flux. But God, who is the creator, does not change. He is constant and he's unchanging. And when your circumstances change for the worse and your life gets difficult, it can be easy to wonder where God is and you feel like quitting. Join the club. However, on your worst days, God's character and his promises toward you have not changed. No matter what your circumstances or your attitude toward him, God still loves you and he's still fighting for you and he wants you to be an overcomer. He wants to use you for his glory. This is part of his character that does not change. Because God is unchanging, you can live lives of lasting significance, so much so that we spend our time on all, everything that perishes, don't we? So much of our money that we work so hard for earned goes toward clothing, housing, or food, all that won't last. Anything that you do for Christ can take on eternal significance, though, because it's used by the purposes of God. Everything from changing tires <laughs> to changing diapers can be used for his glory, but there's some things that are so central to the purposes of God that they're specifically called out in Scripture of having an eternal impact. But then we're reminded in verse 12 that God's testimony is that eternal life is only in Christ Jesus. Only in Christ Jesus. William McDonald said it really in a cool way. He said, the teaching is unmistakable. Eternal life is not found in education or philosophy or science or good works or religion or even the church. To have life, you must have the Son of God. On the other hand, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And that's how it works. Eternal life is inseparable from Christ Jesus. And so if I could write, I didn't write this on your screen, but I'll, I'll give it to you in word form. Seeing the little phrase where it says, no son, no God, N-O, no son, N-O, no God, right? And then right following that, K-N-O-W, no son, <laughs> no life. Do you know the son? Are you following after the son? If you're following after the son, then you have life. Now, when does true overcoming take place in our life? Honestly, it happens when we do what we did in the song earlier. When we give up. When we surrender. And you claimed that surrender in one of the songs we just sang earlier. And when you cry out, and I've watched it happen, both people on the outside and people on the inside, whenever they have this moment, they have this moment, and they find their story being changed. And they say, God, I can't do it anymore. I don't know what else I can do. I've tried everything, and I'm at my wit's end. And all I know is to be able to say that I need you. And I've watched it happen to people outside, people inside. Listen to the stories of Kaiser Kairos. It doesn't happen that way for everybody, but some people just need to say, I'm done. I'm finished with this. I'm, just, I'm tired of doing it my way, and I'm going to try yours. And you've got to cry out. You've got to give up. And then when we do, we find abundant life. Abundant life now and forever, promised of God. Regardless of our circumstances, if we belong to him, then we'll be forever his, resulting in a secure, present, and final victory for the future. Does that mean you're going to win every battle here on this earth? Absolutely not. You can try, but you're not going to win every battle on this earth. We overcome some battles in the natural realm, but I want you to know we overcome all battles in the supernatural realm. We win some battles today, but we conquer all battles when Christ returns. We overcome some battles 
on how we feel, but we overcome all battles through obedience and faith in God's holy work. So today you might win some battles, but I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that all battles will be won when Jesus returns. I know how I want him to come back because I want to say I'm a winner, but there are times when in the middle of all of that, in the middle of those some battles that I'm trying to win through, that I just want him to win that battle. I just want to remind you that he does win the battles and that every one of us are overcomers because of our faith in Christ Jesus and that he is one that we can trust our, our lives with. And I want you to know there's some wonderful people that I've met over the weekend, just like you all. And I'm so grateful that I get calling brothers and sisters. One day they're going to get out. Some of them have said, when I get out, can I come to your church? I'd love to have you. But I want you to know, everybody might not think like I'm thinking. But I want you to know you can be a victor in Christ Jesus and that you can win. And we're going to invite one more time that if you need a family, that you can become sons and daughters of the Most High God. One of the coolest things that happened over the weekend for me, I gave the sticker out that I tell you all, we're treasured children of the Most High God. I gave a sticker to every brother. Told him, you put it wherever you want to put it. Came back Saturday. So it's been a whole week. I come back Saturday on his name badge, which is his inmate number and all of his inmate stuff. On the other side of his, his he's filled the sticker and stuck. Hello, my name is a treasured child of the Most High God. I said, brother, I hope you don't go in the hole for that because you're out of uniform. He said, so far, so good. I want you to live with confidence that you're treasured children of the Most High God, that you can find a family with other believers, that if you don't know who Christ Jesus is, that like the waters that launched his life, they can launch yours too. So we're going to sing one more time about the greatness of God. Let's stand and sing. I'll be right here to receive you if you have a decision today. Thank you for listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com. 